But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and in front of me, like always, the president of the Book Factory, Steve the Boss and Heart Tog. Joey is out today. Uh, he's hiding from the coronavirus, uh, I believe. Uh, but <laughs> Joey's under his bed, I think, curled up in the fetal position somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we love you, Joey. Uh, so, uh, man, um, we have been going through a difficult time in this country with just everything going on. Um, I don't know how um, true the um, the the impact. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, yes, there is a virus, but people die from things every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that we talked a little bit about some of this getting blown up, uh, but it is having an economical uh, economic effect on the, on the society and the world. Uh, you know, but. Um, it is pretty awesome that we still need to trust Christ and he is sovereign over everything and we just place our focus on him and well, it's an opportunity for us as Christians to point to where our hope uh, lies you know and that's in that's in the Lord he's sovereign he's providential he's going to work it out for our good and for his glory and so we just need as Christians to be faithful to just continually point people back to him and uh I mean, this is not the first time in history something like this has happened. No. You know, unless the Lord tarries, probably won't be the last time. Yeah. So. No, but, uh, you know, we talked the other day when we were doing uh, systematic theology uh, that Steve leads. And, you know, uh, there are some amazing conversations that are being brought up during this time of turmoil. Uh, and I know that a lot of people are getting an opportunity to uh, point people to Christ mm-hmm. and that he is our Lord and Savior and he's the only one who can save and, and he controls everything. And I, I think that's pretty awesome. And 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 however this is going to turn out, uh, we 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 know that it, people are being affected because lives are being lost. And uh, we will be praying for for your families and your friends uh, out there and 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 we just leave it up to god and you know we we do love everybody and and thank you again for listening um today uh we have uh a special guest um a first-time guest uh we have apologist and author gregory kokel on his book tactics from zan what is it zan zondervan zondervan publishing uh, it is Christianity's number one bestseller on Amazon. Mm. That's pretty cool. So uh, I'm excited to uh, have him on today. Uh, and yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. He was he was at a conference uh, earlier in uh, actually the end of February. We mm. went up to Dallas for a rethink conference, and uh, Greg and his team were there, and it was just a great conference. You know, he really shared some uh, some great tactics for sharing your faith and so looking forward to talk to him about that yeah i mean the the book is awesome i i i started reading it and man uh i was telling steve i'm I'm gonna buy it and keep the book and just been excited to read the book and just uh how to do apologetics in, in in this time and age um 
just want to give a shout out to our brothers and sisters in California. Um, and we've been picking up a, a following over there. And thank you for listening. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, and again, for our Laredo listeners as well, um, for our worldwide audience, uh, we've been picking up people in England. Uh, our listeners in England have been in England have been going up, so that's pretty cool. So shout out to you guys, uh, and and to all our brothers and sisters in the world. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, again, please uh, uh, reach out to us, um, and if you guys have uh, any thoughts on um, subjects that you guys want to hear, we're always always uh, open to listening. All right, well, Steve, you ready to get this started? Let's do it. All right, let's go ahead and do it. Greg Coco holds a master in both apologetics and philosophy. He's spoken on over 85 university campuses and hosts his own radio talk show for 30 years, defending Christianity worth thinking about. Greg is founder and president of Stand to Reason and serves as an adjunct professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. Welcome, Craig Coco, to Bridge Radio for the first time. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. It's nice to chat with you out there in the world. Here I am in forced seclusion like everybody else in the country. Yeah. Good to have a chat with you today. So yeah. are you at home today, Greg? I am, yeah. I've been at home for the last few weeks. Oh, you know? wow. Except for if I have to go, you know, get some food or something. But right. For the most part, you know, all my trips have been canceled and... So this is my contact with the outside world. That's great, you guys. Good well, deal. <laughs> well, we were uh, when we were reaching out just to confirm. I was I was wondering if you were going to come on or not, and I was like, I hope he comes on. Like I'm sure people are right now at home and would love if this podcast gets released right. and we're able to to uh, to release this with you on. But thank you again, Craig, for uh, for yeah, coming you're on. Yeah, welcome. It's pretty painful to have all, all my events canceled for the spring. So because yeah. uh, I like going out, I like interacting with people, I like going face to face. It's good for the organization sure it's good because we can teach you know and it's a different environment but in any event it is what it is god knows and so let's uh, let's uh, this is the day the lord has made let's <laughs> rejoice and be glad of it. amen amen so uh greg for uh our first time listeners can you just share a little bit about yourself and how you came to know the lord yes i um i'm uh I am not a millennial. <laughs> I'm a boomer, man. I was born in 1950. And uh, <clears throat> so, therefore, I was in high school and college during the big social revolution of the mid-60s and early 70s. Um, and I was raised Roman Catholic. And then when uh, I got old enough, in a certain sense, to think for myself, like like that's true with a lot of kids growing up in Protestant homes, it wasn't uh, wasn't enough to say, well, this is what I was raised with, you know. I had no good reason to take any of of that seriously or Christianity broadly, and uh, I was very enticed by the culture back then. And when you're 18 and uh, the culture is changing the way it was, you don't want to think about God and religion and purity and that kind of stuff, you know. And so off I was into the culture, and it wasn't until uh, 1973, which uh, I was 23 years old at the time, that I actually heard a very clear characterization of the grace of God, mm -hmm. and I heard the gospel in its richness, and many times over, because my younger brother was a Christian, and he shared with me, and of course I wasn't really really open at first, and, and but um, but then I'd listen, then I'd ask questions, then I'd brush him off, and uh, little by little it just started getting to me, and the interesting thing about how the Lord brought me into the kingdom is that there was almost no role of apologetics at all 
in my life. Now, I have friends like uh, Frank, Frank Turek and Jay Warner mm. Wallace and uh, and Lee Strobel and a whole bunch of others mm. who became Christians in virtue of the apologetics that they now teach on. But that wasn't my situation. I was just drawn into the kingdom. I, I don't. Uh, the only way I know how to say it is that uh, that I just had an increasing conviction that it was actually true. Interesting. And so then on September 28th, which is a Friday night, my brother came to visit me in my apartment in West L.A., where I'm, I, I'm born and bred in Chicago, but I, I'm in yeah. the West, but I came. Yeah. So, so am I, I just to I let you know. Chasing a skirt, <laughs> chasing a skirt out to California, that's how I got out here. So uh, <laughs> in any event, I didn't get the girl, but God got me. And uh, that night I, I trusted myself to the Lord, and I started following him. And, uh, of course, that was right in the middle of the Jesus movement, very big thing here on the mm. West Coast. And I moved very quickly into a Christian community for two and a half years, right by Westwood Village, and I got great discipleship, a lot of training, and uh, immediately got into um, Christian work of some sort. And so my first two summers I spent uh, in Waikiki Beach on a summer outreach mm, project, nice. suffering for the Lord. You know, somebody <laughs> had to do it. So uh, I, went to, I went to Hawaii for the summer. The following summer I went... That would be the summer of 76. I went to uh, Europe, and I was, I was there three and a half months, and I spent five, five and a half weeks behind the Iron Curtain working with Christians who were being persecuted. Mm, wow. and, uh, and, then I, and, then, and then I got involved with the local church here in Southern California. I went to Thailand for uh, seven months working at Cambodian refugee camp in 82, uh, a feeding program, and my job was to feed 18,500 people. So... Uh, when I got back, I looked at worked at the local church and and did teaching and a little bit of writing, and this is when it things. Now I'm in the in the early 90s. I'd spent a few weeks in India uh, doing a short term mission thing there and teaching and speaking around the city of Madras, and that's when I was encouraged to to focus my efforts in an organization. Um, and this was a friend that has a ministry, had a ministry there, has a ministry there, uh, Bobby Gupta, and he had helped Ravi Zacharias start his organization. He was on his first board. And he said, you ought to do what Ravi's doing. And uh, that is focus your efforts with an organization on, on what you do best, which is um, communicating. And um, I, at that time, I'd already started radio. That was a side job here in Southern California. And I was doing weekend drive time kind of thing. Uh, three to six on Saturdays and Sundays while I was doing other work during the week. So all of these experiences, and I had already gotten a master's degree in apologetics, and I was beginning to work on my master's in philosophy under J.P. Borland hmm. at uh, Talbot. And so all of these kind of things, that you just this variety of background, which, to be honest, fellas, I never planned at all. I never had a game plan. Hmm. I never had a life plan, nothing like that. <laughs> I just, um, I just, what I call it now is I was just trying to bloom where I was planted. Yeah. Whatever opportunities the Lord was giving me at the time, I tried to make good use of them. And then one thing led to another. So I was never, uh, in, in the sense that most people mean it, I was never led into starting Stand the Reason. I wasn't, I didn't feel called into apologetics. I actually don't believe that's the biblical model anyway. Mm -hmm. um, what I think happened was, Biblically speaking, I began to discover what my gifts were, mm. and I began to narrow down and focus on my peculiar capabilities, what I could make a unique contribution to in the body of Christ. And of course, that is biblical. That's First mm. Corinthians 13, uh, 12, that's uh, Romans 12, that's Ephesians 4, that's First Peter. So there's lots of Bible verses that talk about 
focus on your gifts and be faithful using your gifts in God's power. Mm-hmm. And so that's what bird the Stand the Reason in 1993. And then it's just developed from there. Just uh, Melinda Penner and I started it. Uh, Melinda's out of play right now from an accident she had a couple years ago. But um, the uh, we have now expanded over the years to 18 full-time employees, and we're 27 years old. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is April. Right. Okay. <laughs> May 1st. May 1st is our 27-year anniversary. I thought maybe I'd Wow. It. But uh, all I missed was April Fool's Day, which is okay with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, there's the saga, basically, and what God has given us is a, a, in the last 27 years is basically an international footprint, and a lot of this is because of the way that technology works. But hmm. um, between Alan Schliemann and I, but one of our other speakers, uh, last year we were on every continent but Antarctica, you know, so uh, we, we, I usually do 150 talks a year about um, wow. around the country and, and, and in other countries. I was in four other countries last year, which is a little unusual. I don't travel internationally that much. But the point I'm making is there is a tremendous need for what we do, and mm. that is thoughtful Christianity, mm. wow. for giving um, a rationale for why um, Christianity that, that is taken as a whole. That's the Christian world view. Not, not just Jesus loves you and died for your sins. You know, you're a sinner, and if you believe, you go to heaven. If you don't believe, you go to hell. I mean, that's true. But it's so minimal. It's such minimal Christianity that it's almost hardly Christianity at all. Hmm. It's Christianity as far as it goes. But that just gives you a peek through the keyhole. Yeah. It tells you how to get in the door, so to speak. Christianity entails a whole view of reality, understanding of how the world actually yeah. is, yeah. And, and, and a way to live one's life consistent with that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of a background. Maybe I gave more information than you wanted, but... Uh, <laughs> Can you that's f- what happens when you get a talk show host. Yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, that's great. That's interesting. Can you flesh that out? Uh, your last point a little bit more, Greg, with regards to uh, as Christians, why it's important to not only share what we believe, but why we believe it and the rationale behind that. Because I think that's I yeah, think that's so important. That's it's a missing. Fabulous question. Yeah, and it's uh, ironic to me. I think that was uh, Steve there. I, I, I think yes, yes, Steve, yes. Yeah, that. Um, that so many Christians balk at this particular issue, the Mm. idea of sharing your faith, or I'm sorry, defending the faith. Oh, the lion doesn't need a defense. Um, Well, the fact is, the scripture, the the truth does need a defense, and Mm -hmm. the reason it needs a defense is it's under attack all the time. It's under attack from the outside, and it's under attack from the inside. So I have a a quick little sermonette to answer your question. (laughs) And here it is. Uh, Why should we do apologetics? And incidentally, sometimes people don't think we should because they think it's inconsistent with faith Mm -hmm. that faith is believing something you have no good reason to believe that's their view and so if you have evidence then what's room where's room for faith or so they say i'll just simply say and you guys understand this this is a completely distorted understanding of biblical faith Mm -hmm. and there is no such thing in the bible Mm -hmm. and i can get a give a gazillion references, but here's my little four-point summary sermon, okay? Um, not a good Baptist pastor. I have one too many points here. So. First one is, other than, or I could say, never mind that the Bible commands it, okay? And if we just disregarded that it commands us to do that, this is in uh, second, second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, 
and that always be ready to make a defense mm. uh, or to give an answer to everyone who asks you to make a defense for the hope that's within you, mm. yet yeah. with gentleness and reverence. So we're, we're to be ready to defend. But that's where the word apologia comes in. Mm. The Scripture says we should defend the faith. Well, let's just set that aside for, for a moment. Other than the fact that, oh, everybody in the Bible does it. Mm. The prophets did it. Jesus did it. The disciples did it consistently. They were always defending the faith. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, the, the claims that they made about reality, the claims Jesus made about himself and, the, and about the world, and the, the claims the apostles subsequently made about Jesus, all of these things were defended. I mean, for goodness sake, look at Jesus says in John chapter 5, look, if you don't, uh, if you don't believe my words, because I'm only one testimony, believe what Moses said about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Or believe what the rest of the scriptures said about me, there's two. Or believe what John the Baptist said about me, there's three. Or then, or believe me because of the supernatural wonders I work to support it, there's four. Sure. Okay, mm-hmm. they're just bing, 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 bing. Right in John 5, Jesus is giving four reasons why the Jews should think, should take him seriously. Mm-hmm. He's defending the faith. Sure. In, in uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, there's this powerful supernatural sign the Holy Spirit comes on, there's sound, there's a rushing of wind, there are tongues of fire, there's the apostles speaking in languages they don't know. People think they're drunk. Peter says, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. This is the Holy <laughs> Spirit, that which you see and hear. Notice the appeal to the senses there for evidence. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's, and this is a fulfillment of prophecy, yeah. he quotes Joel, and it's all happening because that guy you killed, Jesus, he rose from the dead. And by the way, we saw him. Right, yeah. And we're his witnesses. And by the way, that was also prophesied, too, in the Psalms by David. Notice, boom, 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 evidence after evidence after evidence. It's all right there in the first sermon up on Pentecost Sunday that kicks off the book of Acts. So, you know, it's, 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 it's there, and they did it. So it's commanded. They did it. But we can just forget about that for a moment. How about this one? It works. Right, <laughs> yeah. People say no one could ever be one to Christ through a, through an argument. Mm. Nonsense. It happens all the time. Mm. Ask Jay Warner Wallace. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a guy, you know, a lot of people now know. Sure. Because, the, not because he was just a, a storied uh, cold case detective in Tor- Torrance PD here in L.A. area for many, many, many years on TV many times with many of the cases he solved. Actually, he never lost a case that went to trial. Mm. And these are cold cases. These are like mm. murder cases that are uh, stone-cold for 20 or 25 years, and he's able to find the bad guy. Hmm. Okay, how did he do it? Because he knows how evidence works. Hmm. Yeah. And so by applying his principles of evidence, he he looked at the New Testament and came to the conclusion that they were reliable testimonies of eyewitnesses, and he became a Christian, having been a very aggressive atheist. Yeah. What changed his mind? The evidence. Now, God used the evidence, there's no question. It's not in isolation from the Holy Spirit. But the uh, the evidence was critical, and uh, and there's lots of people like that. Sure. But never mind that. Yeah. Never mind that it, it's commanded. Never mind that the Jesus and the apostles did it. Never mind that it works. How about this? Fourth reason. Hmm. Apologetics is going to help um, your listeners face the hmm. toughest critic that they'll ever face, and that's themselves. Hmm. Yeah. Everybody uh, has doubts. E- e- and when we have doubts, what is going to be there to help us? give us confidence. And in this kind of circumstance, it's usually not the Holy Spirit. That is the sense of the Holy Spirit. 
Mm-hmm. The reason why is because in those times, the sense of the Holy Spirit ain't there. Mm-hmm. That's why people are doubting. Things get really hard. They, heaven seems to be uh, silent to their prayers, and they, they, they are in difficult times, and they don't feel God. Right. Where is God? Psalm 13. Hmm. You know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Hmm. How long will I take counsel on my soul while my uh, that my heart is in sorrow all the day? Well, we experience that. Everybody, I do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you have, both of you, and every person that has written a Christian book, hmm. especially that apologetics, has experienced that. So how do we how do we deal with that? Well, we we can't go to our feelings because our feelings are deserting us. We have to go to our the evidences, our mind, the reasons why Christianity still is true, even if we don't feel good about mm. it. And so there's your, your little four-point sermon. Yeah. Uh, very, I think, cogent reasons why we should we should take apologetics seriously yeah. in the church. Yeah, that is great. Uh, just to let you know, uh, Greg, we have uh, had Jay Warner Wallace on three times on the show, and Wow! Yeah, yeah his, more than me. Yeah, uh, we've actually had JP Mor- <laughs> We had JP Moreland on a couple of episodes oh. ago on his book. Well, here's Quiet. the deal, uh, J- Jim. Uh, I am right in the middle of those two because <laughs> um, JP. The, here's the reason. I mean, in this certain sense, this is something that's instructive maybe to your listeners. Hmm. Uh, JP Moreland is one of my mentors. Mm, okay? Really. And he, I obviously I've learned so much from him. I took an MA in philosophy under him. Yeah. And we're still very close friends. Okay. But Jay, Jay Warner Wallace was listening to our radio show when he was still an atheist. Really? So Stan to Reason had a role in him coming to Christ and then growing in Christ. And then he was on our staff for a couple of years uh, before he, he went off with the cold case, you know, and doing his, his full-time thing. Really? Like that. Wow. So, so, uh, so actually, Jay Warner is kind of JP's grandson, disciple <laughs> Well, it, it was, I'm in between the two of them. Yeah, uh, th- those guys uh, have been uh, good friends of the ministry. But what's great is I from so much from Jim. I'd rather listen to Jim than anyone else if I go to hear a talk. He's oh. great. He's just fabulous, and uh, I love him. Oh, yeah. So, doc, uh, Dr. Moreland is, yeah, Dr. Moreland has just been, when he came on, just a, just a brain. For He's sure. got such a pastoral heart, too. Yeah. He's just a pleasure to listen to. So, uh, Greg, what are some of the challengers and critics that you have engaged with? Well, I'm thinking now I have probably had about eight or nine or ten f- more formal debates. Uh, the ones that are most memorable are not at universities. Um, I... I'm trying to think of his name now, John something. I, I debated an atheist professor over at the, at the University of uh, of Calgary, uh, John Baker, um, that that did not go well for him as it turned out. Um, uh, but but um, and in fact, the atheists were apologizing to me for the man that they chose, yeah. not because I was so clever, but he was just trying to argue that morality is relative, that there is no objective morality, that we're just make, making it up, and it's just so obviously false. Mm. Everybody knows that. That's why there's a problem of evil. If you complain about the problem of evil, you're complaining about real evil in the world. And there can't Mm. be real evil unless there's real morality Hmm. that transcends human definition. So, um, but the the ones that are probably most memorable, as I did a three-hour debate with the radio debate, a national radio uh, on Hugh Hewitt's program on Salem Broadcasting Network, 
with uh, the American atheist Michael Shermer, hmm. and um, and he's from he's the the founder of Skeptics Magazine. He's written a number of books, but uh, he's he's um, an interesting guy to debate because he's a bit on the affable side. He's kind of nice and fun and clever, and he's not he's not dowdy at all. He's kind of cool, you know. He's got long hair, wears a leather jacket. Although he's getting kind of old now, but still, <laughs> you know, he's kind of in the hip hip kind of category. And so that has certain appeal to audiences. But his thinking is not good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and especially that became evident, I think, in this, this particular interview. So Michael Shermer, but uh, probably the most famous one in a certain sense, is the uh, one-hour national TV debate I did with Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deepak is a New Age guru, probably the best known in the world. In fact, he's one of the few people that, that you recognize just by his first name. Like Deepak, you know, people know who you're talking about yeah. when you say that. And he's very, very difficult to debate with. Uh, or have, And it was really kind of more of a discussion back and forth on TV, on Lee Strobel's uh, TV show. And it was it, he's difficult because uh, New Age concepts are very slippery. They're hard to pin to the wall, so to speak. And, um, and he was jumping all over the landscape with all these kind of um, scattered claims about Christianity. Yeah, there were there was these, these illicit challenges on excuse me Christians. For example, he kept faulting me because I thought my way was the was the right way. You know, you narrow-minded Christians, you <laughs> think your way is right and everybody else is wrong. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is, we do think our way is right. Sure. Yeah. And other people are wrong. We could be mistaken. But that that's, that's our conviction. But it's also the conviction of every single other person in the world who <laughs> believes anything. Right. To believe something is to hold that it's true. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not know it's true, but at least you think it is. And therefore, if people disagree with what you think is true. Their views have to be mm, false. Duh. Sure. <laughs> now, uh, so, but now he's attacking me on this. The irony is he had a book out. That was, <laughs> he was promoting it on the show. And I wish I had it in my lap. I could have held it up to the camera because we were, <clears throat> excuse me, I was in the sound stage just looking at a camera. We were at different locations. Hmm. He was in New York. I was in Los Angeles. I wish I could have held the book up because the book said, Love is the way. <laughs> That's the title of his book. So he's faulting me for thinking I know the way. Yeah. <clears throat> when he's, 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 uh, um, you know, promoting a book even on that show that says his way is the way, but I'm the bad guy and he's not. That's funny. So, so that's the that's this kind of challenge happens all the time by people who ought to know better. But this is the same thing. Christopher Hitchens does did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Shermer did it. All these people who are really, really bright, they still make this kind of silly mistake sure and he kept he also was quoting out of the bible at different times when it suited him hmm. and he said i keep a copy of the uh the sermon on the mountain in my pocket everywhere i go that's what he said <laughs> i should ask to produce it just out of curiosity can i see it right now yeah. um, but the irony is and think about it in that debate is then he started attacking the bible as being unreliable <laughs> and he said something like our bibles today are the 13th iteration of the Bible. Like, these things keep changing and changing and changing and changing, so we can't have confidence that what we have now is what was originally written. Mm. Well, wait a minute. If we can't have confidence that what we have now is what was originally written, why is he carrying a copy of the Sermon on the Mount around in his pocket as if these are the words of Jesus? (laughs) Do you see the contradiction there? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
So I know to be honest, I did not catch that contradiction in the midst of this conversation, hmm. but I wish I would have asked him that question. <laughs> Deep, Dr. Chopra is what I said. I didn't call him by his first name because I, I did not want to play into his brand. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I just said, Dr. Chopra, it's just very polite. Dr. Chopra, if this is the 13th iteration and we can't count on it, why do you have a copy of it in your pocket mm-hmm. that you refer to as the words of Jesus? Sure. Now, see, that would have left him stumped and speechless. Mm-hmm. But it, that's all right. I didn't say, I asked that question, but there are a whole bunch of other things that left him stumped and speechless. Mm-hmm. And this is a video, by the way, you can go to YouTube and you can find it. Kokel Chopra. Okay. You know, it's easy. You can get the whole thing. And uh, it, 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 again, it did not go well for Dr. Chopra. <laughs> and I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Uh, apart from what I think of the shallowness of his ideas, and I'm, I'm not trying to discredit him I'm just, or to put him down. I'm just talking about the ideas. Um, uh, he was at a big disadvantage because nobody ever opposes him. Mm-hmm. Everywhere he goes, people are applauding him and going, wow, even though what he says is many times borderline unintelligible. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not hyperbole. I, I, who, I, it's just hard to know what he even means when he strings all these New Age phrases together. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever challenges him. And so he gets to say whatever he wants. And when he is then challenged by somebody who knows how to maneuver a little bit better in conversation and knows the truth, this became very hard for him. Yeah. And so I, you know, I just commend it to your listeners. So uh, mm-hmm. that was a very interesting conversation. And usually those guys, don't they, um, don't they, uh, uh, like if you wanted to debate them again, will usually not want to do it just because they know that. Well, um, I don't know. Chopra probably wouldn't want to do it. Okay. He had a bad day. When you yeah. look at his face at the end of the, at the end of the, the time, he's thinking, when is this clock going to run out? I want out of here. <laughs> very, very obvious. Yeah. Chris Hitchens is different though. He'll keep debating and debating and re-debating and travel the country and, and he had a number of debates with Frank Turek. Uh, he had a number of, uh, of debates with Doug Wilson, you know. So, I mean, Christians. And so, um, but uh, it, it, these, you know, also Michael Shermer had many debates with Doug Guyvin. So these guys, they go on the road and they get paid well for what they do. And uh, they're not intimidated. They keep running the same lines by their audiences, even though those lines have been thoroughly answered, spoken to, and in many cases refuted. It's like... It doesn't register with them, so they don't know when they're when they're beaten. You know, they don't know when they're licked. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was reading uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias, one of his books. He said something along the lines of, uh, "It's interesting that the people who deny God often make the most from Him." <laughs> you know, the people people who are the most adamant uh, atheists are the ones that are making the best living. You know, from His supposed non-existence. So, yeah, I, I actually don't understand um, evangelistic atheism. I don't understand it. If, if I really believed that there was nothing here mm, yeah. mm. but uh, molecules in motion, and that's it, why should I care what other people, if other exactly. people think, believe otherwise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if it, it, the only thing that's left is power. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be self-interest. Well, I don't like other people doing what they're doing with regards to me who have convictions different from me. Well, okay, so what? Mm-hmm. If there's no morality, no deep morality, no objective morality, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. Sure. Do what you can with the power you have at your disposal to stop it. Okay, mm-hmm. I can see that. But these guys take a high moral ground. Mm. Uh, what they do is they say, we have a, they, implicitly they're saying, we have a more moral position, mm-hmm. even though they deny objective morality, mm. uh, either 
outright or implicitly by going to something like an evolutionary explanation or maybe a um, uh, you know a community morality explanation like a social contract but both of those are relativistic sure and they, they aren't objective morality at all it's just make it's just what we make up or what is imposed on us by our biology mm-hmm. our beliefs I mean a biology can't make rape wrong all it can do is make us think it's wrong sure um, but it can't make it wrong but we really think God, that the morality that the rape is wrong you know so anyway yeah yeah, going. I don't on, understand their evangelistic fervor. That's my point. Really. Sure, sure. Uh, Greg, can you talk about what some basic skills we as twenty-first century ambassadors for Christ uh, need when we when we enter into conversations? Sure, with people I, I'm us? glad you asked that question because at Stand a Reason for almost the entire life of our organization, we have we have operated under a certain uh, motif if you will. And uh, within a couple of years after we started, I, I was in the process of of, <clears throat> of, of trying to uh, clarify my own understanding of what we were really trying to do at Stand the Reason. And I realized that we're trying to build a certain type of person. Mm. We are not an evangelism organization. Ravi Zacharias, he's an evangelist, mm. okay? And what they do is they go out in public, in academic environments largely, and they and they evangelize. Sure. Okay, mm-hmm. great. More power to them. I'm glad for what they're doing. And they do it in a very intelligent and winsome and attractive way. It's not what we do. We are more discipleship-oriented. Mm-hmm. Our mission says we train Christians, and, and that's the mm-hmm. way it starts. And um, and the, the goal of our training and working with Christians is to produce a certain type of individual that we call an ambassador, because we want our engagements with the world to look more like gentle diplomacy mm. than D-Day, okay? Sure. And uh, much of our engagements look like D-Day. So we're trying to amend that issue. Sure. And so early on, we began to develop what it looked like to be a good ambassador. And by the way, this notion comes out of Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, mm. where Paul simply says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were speaking through us. Mm. We beg of you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so there is an evangelistic element there, obviously, to be an ambassador. But what I want people to focus in on, to be effective out there as an ambassador representing our king, is the kind of individual they are that helps them to be effective. And so we identified three different areas, um, categories or areas that are important for uh, development for any good ambassador. When I say any, I mean any. If I were a president or a king or something like that, wanted an ambassador representing me in a foreign country, there are three things I would generally that I'd be looking for in that person. First, there's a knowledge component, okay? You are sending an ambassador out with a message. You need to know what that message is. Mm. You, they need to know what it is that they need to communicate. And by the way, if they're going to a foreign country or a foreign culture, they need to know something about the culture so that that message they're speaking uh, lands uh, uh, in an understanding way in the minds of the people. doesn't mean they have to agree with it, but at least they got to understand it. Sure. So you've got to be able to speak the language of the culture for them to understand what you're saying. So there's a knowledge component, okay? And we call that, by the way, an accurately informed mind, mm-hmm. okay? So that's the first part. But now uh, you don't just need the information. You have to be able to maneuver tactically and effectively in conversations. You've got to be diplomatic. You have to know when to talk and when to shut up. You know, this is all part of diplomacy. 
And so there's a wisdom now that's a second component. We have knowledge, then wisdom. And wisdom we describe as an, uh, an attractive manner. So we have an accurately informed mind, knowledge. Now we have wisdom in an attractive manner. No, wait a minute. Uh, an artful method. Sorry, I'm getting my my uh, my little slogan here mixed up. So you have an ac- attractive, um, an accurately informed mind, knowledge. Wisdom is an artful method, an artful method, and that's the whole tactical approach which I've written a book on, and which is now in its second edition, a tenth anniversary edition, just came out last fall. And been been very well received because there's almost nothing, virtually nothing like it available to uh, uh, allow people to maneuver more effectively and more comfortably in conversations. Mm-hmm. But there's a third thing too. Not only knowledge and wisdom, you got to have a character that commends the message. Because if you go out with a good message and you got good conversational skills, but you're a jerk, hmm. you know, <laughs> right? Well, that's going to mess things up. Yeah. And so we, we're looking for people. And these are the the um, essential skills of a, a 21st century ambassador or any ambassador at any time. Knowledge, an accurately informed mind, wisdom, an artful method, and character, an attractive manner. This is what we are trying to accomplish through the work of our organization. Mm-hmm. We are trying to build um, disciples of Christ who are ambassadors with those three qualities. Wow. Uh, so, uh, Greg, uh, can you just unpack a little bit uh, as you uh, in, in your book, you start talking about uh, strategy versus tactics and right. offensive versus defensive apologetics. Can you just sure. uh, unpack that a little bit for our listening audience? Sure. Uh, the, bo- the book is called Tactics, a Game Plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Mm. Now, here I'm using some military terms, and there's a risk in doing that because, like I said, I want our engagements to look more like diplomacy than D-Day. So I'm not looking for people to fight. It's just the opposite. However, these terms, since there is a maneuvering that in many ways is like, like military maneuvers, when we're engaged in the persuasive process, I think these military terms sometimes serve a good purpose. <clears throat> and so there's a difference then in the, from the military perspective between strategy and tactics. Hmm. Uh, take D-Day, for example, June 4th, 1944. Um, this was a massive invasion of the Normandy coast uh, that put, put Allied forces into Western Uni- Europe on the continent for the first time to, uh, to liberate um, Europe from, from the Nazis. Uh, during that war. Okay, well, there was a plan. There was a whole plan about how that was going to work. Four beaches they were going to land on, and it was the Americans and the Brits and the Canadians, and uh, they had it all worked out, and they had an airdrop the day before, the, the, that night before, with the uh, 82nd Airborne and the 101st, and uh, there was bombardment. See, all of these things are part of a broad strategy to make a broad move, okay? Mm. But once those paratroopers' boots hit the ground at uh, midnight on D-Day, mm. and uh, once those those uh, soldiers hit the beach at uh, 0600 on June 4, uh, 6, 1944, everything changed because now they're face to face with the with the uh, the enemy. They are face to face in combat. 
the strategy now is going to play itself or, uh, out or not, depending on what happens next in the individualized engagements hmm. and where small where 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 smaller groups of people are maneuvering in very particular ways to accomplish larger tasks. That's what tactics is. Tactics are the the, the kind of the face to face encounter. So uh, we have a tactical game plan. It's in the book. There's three steps to it. In a certain sense, that's our strategy. Okay, um, but when we when we get involved, uh, we get involved with people. Um, and then then we, we got to look at what is the what are the moves that we're using right now in conversation. That's the tactics. Um, the way I describe it in the book, <clears throat> I actually describe strategy in a little different way. And uh, since strategy in a military sense, is your your larger plan and your positioning in the field, mm-hmm. okay? Um, what, is, what are the, the advantages you have regarding the enemy, the way, you, way your troops are positioned, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a parallel to the information that we have, the, 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 the evidence in favor of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So when people think of apologetics, they usually think of that. They think of either um, what might be called defensive apologetics, and that is the, 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 the answers or the evidences that are used to defend against challenges. So when somebody says, well, what about all the evil in the world? So they think that evil in the world is an argument against Christianity, so we must defend regarding that challenge. Uh, well, the Bible, you trust in the Bible, but the Bible's been changed so many times over so many years, you can't trust it, okay? That is a charge against something in our view. We defend against it, okay? Mm-hmm. Those are defensive apologetics. But they're also offensive apologetics. That means you go on the offense. It doesn't mean that you are offensive, right. okay? <laughs> That's a no-no. Uh, and so uh, what offensive apologetics are in that regard is where we're giving positive evidence for the claims we make about God and Jesus in the mm-hmm. Bible. So um, the cosmological argument uh, mm-hmm. that is uh, evidence for God based on the existence of the universe, mm-hmm. very powerful argument that in favor of the existence of God and therefore of Christianity, or the moral argument, you know, if there is no God, then there is no morality, but there is morality, objective morality. We know that because it's violated, and that's what we call the problem of evil, so there must be a God. So that's positive. Um, That is offensive um, apologetics versus defensive. So what we're trying to do is, is, as I was saying, build ambassadors for Christ who can see the big picture, who know some of the uh, details of the uh, defending the gospel and giving an answer for the gospel in favor of it, the Christian worldview actually is the way I look at it. The sure. larger, because the gospel is embedded in this larger view, mm-hmm. and we give evidence for the truthfulness of the larger view, it gives evidence then for the parts of the larger view at the same time. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and we also, so we, we were engaged then um, in both using the information that we have that strategically positions us well in the conversation, mm-hmm. and then we're lo- learning particular maneuvers in specific conversations gotcha. to deal with the kinds of challenges that we're faced with. And that's the focus of the book, Tactics, a Game Plan, 
for discussing your Christian convictions. Sure. Okay. Can you uh, can you just uh, unpack a little bit uh, what wh- one of the tactics you describe in your book is the Columbo tactic, and uh, can oh, you talk yeah. about that a little bit? <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I I don't know how old you guys are. You sound like oh, I remember Columbo. Yeah, yeah, I remember Columbo. You do remember Columbo? Yeah. I mean, I'm 41, oh, and good. Steve is older than I you am. You know, there's a lot of young people that st- still remember him. Uh, just by hearsay almost, mm. uh, even though they haven't watched the TV show, which mm. was on like 40 years ago, right. you know, yeah. uh, you can still get it on uh, Nick at Night or you, right. know, you can yeah. get it on, on YouTube. You can get everything on YouTube. Um, uh, I was even looking at an old Twilight Zone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, All those shows were on in the 80s. From, way from 1960 on YouTube. But Columbo is a, uh, was a detective who was a murder detective played by Peter Falk, and he would come on the crime scene right in the beginning of the of the episode, and he'd be wearing an old trench coat, you know, it looked like he slept in it, tousled hair, whatever, a stub of a cigar, scratching his head, walking around muttering to himself. I mean, this guy didn't look like he could think his way out of a wet paper bag. He was stupid, right? But he was stupid like a fox because right. he had a method. And the method was simply to ask questions. Mm-hmm. He'd scratch his head, you know, and say, ah, that's something about this thing that bothers me, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask you a question? Hmm. So he'd get he'd get some information. Oh yeah, you're very intelligent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <coughs> then he'd say, uh, one more thing, you know. And then he'd <laughs> one more thing him to death with question after question. So this represents the modus operandi hmm. of the tactical approach. It's the MO. It's the way that we prosecute our engagements, our conversations with other people. We are committed to using questions to move forward in a variety of ways. Mm. That's the heart of it. We, that's why I call it Columbo, because of that. Now, there are lots of tactics in the book, um, especially in the expanded edition, uh, the new one. There's like almost double the amount of tactics. And these have <laughs> interesting names, like suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and steamroller <laughs> and, and sticks and stones and uh, what a friend we have in Jesus and watch your language. And there's all kinds of things. These are all kind of maneuvers and conversations that you can use. But these are all really meant uh, to be used uh, with the game plan that is the Columbo tactic. So the core is Columbo, and then all the rest of these other tactics abet the Columbo tactic. They're sure. used together, hand in hand. Okay. So um, these are the these are the shoes that go on every tactic. Okay, Columbo shoes. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Which is kind of ironic because he was always talking about his shoes uh, <laughs> in the TV show. His feet always hurt. So um, that's the, uh, the the Columbo tactic. Then is a tactic that. Um, reminds us, the name reminds us, that we maneuver in conversations by using questions. Mm. And I give some, there are three steps to the process, the game plan, and I give um, actually two, a model question for each of the first two two steps. But to to put it simply, when I get in a conversation, the the very first thing that I want to do is not to try to lead a person to Christ. Mm. This is not my goal. Um, in fact, I'm not even thinking about leading them to Christ. Um, I'm thinking not about harvesting, but about gardening, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, and just to make this point so people can understand it, you can't have a harvest unless you have gardening, mm-hmm. period. Sure. And uh, when we're thinking all the time about the harvest, we're pulling at, 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 uh, at a, a plant that, whose fruit is not ripe yet sometimes. We've got to garden and garden and garden first. And I actually 
when I look back at my life, I'm a gardener. I'm not a harvester. Mm-hmm. Notice Jay Warner Wallace was in my garden. Mm. I didn't harvest him. He was yeah. in my garden. Yeah. You, you might know Abdul Murray. Abdul Murray is the senior vice president of Rabbi Zacharias International <laughs> Ministries. Yeah. That's big time. Abdul Murray, the former Muslim, now Christian, uh, professional Christian apologist and very effective, was in my garden, too. Mm-hmm. He was listening to our show when he was still a Muslim. Wow. Wow. Okay, so I, I'm gardening in their lives, right? And then God takes care of the rest. So th- th- this, this, particular, this particular tool, this Colombo tactic, is a gardening tool. Okay. And so the first thing that I want to do is not think about winning that person to Christ, but I want to gather some information. Mm-hmm. I want to get the lay of the land. So if I meet somebody and I want to get into a spiritual conversation with them, I'm going to start asking questions to figure out where they're at. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of detail to this in the book, of course, but that's the general idea. Sure. Then I want to reverse the burden of proof. In other words, if they make a claim against Christianity, I'm not going to try to refute their claim. I'm going to try to get them to defend it first. And so I'm going to ask them if they say, oh, well, God doesn't exist. I, I, not My first effort is not to try to give them evidence for God. It's to ask them, why don't they think God exists. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, if they say, well, there's no evidence, and then, then I'm going to ask them, well, what of the evidence? Have, have you not seen any evidence, or did you see the evidence and not find it adequate? Mm-hmm. Now, if they say, we have never seen any evidence, then I'm going to ask them, what, what is he reading? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there have been Christian writings for 2,000 years giving evidence. So he's not reading the evidence. Right. Now, if he says, well, I read them, but in like, oh, so you knew that, oh, so they weren't, they weren't adequate. Mm-hmm. No, they weren't. Okay, w- what was wrong with them? <laughs> Which ones did you consider, and what was wrong with it? Notice how, I'm just role-playing a little bit the game plan. I'm gathering information, I'm, uh, then I'm reversing the burden of proof. I find more about his beliefs. Oh, I get it. Okay, so that's what you're, okay, well, why do you hold that view? Right. This is the kind of thing that they do to us, and we, we get stumped. Mm. So why don't we just reverse it? And it, notice how I, it, we can do this in a very relaxed way. Mm. And so then he says, well, uh, he gives me his view. Oh, tell me more about it. Oh, okay, well, why would you believe that? Well, because of thus and so. Really? Wait a minute, I have another question about that. I'm, I'm curious. Mm. And on and on I go. So I can continue to draw out that person using questions with net, without almost ever putting anything on the line with regards to my own view, and therefore there's a lot of safety there. Now, there's detail to hear to this, but I mean, one of the so so there are ways of mentioning the gospel and getting to that. But a lot of people wonder, well, when are you getting to the gospel? And uh, my response is, well, I get to the gospel whenever I want, hmm. whenever I think it's appropriate to the conversation. Sometimes when you're gardening, think about it, fellas. Sometimes when you're gardening, you're watering. Hmm. Sometimes when you're gardening, that means you're giving. Uh, something or fertilizing something mm-hmm. to the seed that's there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're pulling weeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by 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 disabusing people of false ideas, you're pulling weeds. Sure. Maybe you're not advancing the gospel directly, but you're doing it indirectly, and both are an important part of the process. Mm-hmm. So, Greg, as uh, we start to land this plane here soon, um, uh, in your book, you you say that you have a general rule. You say if anyone uh, if anyone in the discussion gets angry, you lose. Can you unpack that rule for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. That that's um, it's it's. <laughs> I got to <laughs> chuckle at this because um, if this is a rule that is a 
absolute truism, mm. but is one that takes a lo- long time to learn, mm. <laughs> especially for a guy like me. Mm. Okay, um, when I look at the nature of these discussions, they if they are going to be effective, they must be amicable. They must mm. be friendly. They yeah. must be genial. If they're going to be effective, they must be amicable. So if we come across highfalutin, uh, nose in the air, you're wrong, I'm right, mm. and especially in a way that is combative, mm. we got our dukes up, we got our line drawn in the sand, and we're fighting, people are going to be on the defensive. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And when they're on the defensive, they are thinking about defending their own views they are not thinking about assessing their views and potentially adopting a different view which is hard to do okay and um and so this is why being aware of the environment that you as a christian um are creating um in in the in the nature of your conversation is really critical okay And uh, if, if, if I get, this is why I say, if, if I get mad in the conversation, mm. well, then I'm going to lose, right? Yeah. If I don't get mad, but the other person gets mad, then I'm still going to lose, mm. all right? Mm. So if anybody gets mad, I lose. Now, right. sometimes you cannot avoid it because the thing they get angry at is not the, is so much the, the messenger as the message. Mm-hmm. So they're angry at the messenger because the message, not because something the messenger is doing, not sure. because the messenger is being a jerk. Yeah. You know, if we're jerky and nasty and whatever, uh, poking people in the eye kind of thing, thumping them on the chest and uh, yelling or whatever, interrupting and all that other stuff, well, then we are causing trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, shame on us. Right. Okay. But if, if we are good ambassadors and they get, they get mad at us because of the message, well, we can shame on them. We can't do, um, we can't, we can't control that. And this is, this happens all the time. It happened to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus got himself killed, for goodness sake. That's mm-hmm. how mad people got at him. Yeah. So, um, but it's a good, it's a good principle, not just in apologetics, but in relationships. Yeah. And I'm thinking of marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm actually much better about it, uh, observing that rule in conversations with strangers than I am with conversations <laughs> with my wife the club. Or, yeah. or my daughters or something, you know. But the same rule applies. Yeah. yeah. If we are, if we, if, 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 if feelings are getting elevated and people are getting hot and then one's interrupting the other, man, this is, you're going nowhere. Yeah. Stop. Bite yeah. your tongue. Yeah. That's my phrase. Bite Amen. your tongue. Bite your tongue. Amen. Right. Good stuff. Wow. What a great conversation, yeah. Greg. We we really appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared. And we, ultimately, we want to do bring it back to the gospel, though. So if you would, could you uh, would you share the gospel w- with our listeners? Sure. The, uh, the word gospel means good news. Mm-hmm. And uh, good news is only good if there's bad news that it speaks to Hmm. okay um insulin is not good news unless you have diabetes or someone you love has diabetes oh then it's really important i never think about insulin because i'm not diabetic the fact is that everyone in a certain sense is diabetic Hmm. every person in the world god didn't make the world that way he made it straight up nice great good and he made human beings as special to be in a kind of unique friendship with him. 
We often refer to it as a relationship with God. But the, it's a unique relationship. It isn't just buddy-buddy. It is sovereign and subject. It is father and son, mm. So there's an, or daughter. So there's a, an authority above us that is both significant authority and commander, and um, uh, at the same time is relational father. And, um, and that's the way God made it. And when we are in that kind of relationship with God, friendship with God, everything goes well. The problem is our first parents decided otherwise. They were tempted to disobey, and they did. And when they did, they broke everything. They broke their relationship with God. They broke the relationship with each other. They broke the relationship with the environment. They broke the whole world. And since they reproduce after their own kind, all of us are born in the same situation. We are in a, in a, a situation of isolation from God from birth. And our, and our behavior shows it, because as we grow up, we demonstrate how bad we are on the inside. Yeah. And by the way, everybody knows this, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. We are all aware of our own brokenness. Mm-hmm. That's where we all feel guilty, mm-hmm. unless we're a sociopath, <laughs> and that's something bad, you know. No, we all feel guilty. Why do we feel guilty? I'll tell you why. Because we are guilty, mm-hmm. and we know it. And so what God has done is he initiated a rescue plan. He has come to planet Earth. In, 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 by taking on our humanity. So he's like us in a vital way. Mm. Jesus was a real human being, yet he was also God visiting the planet. And the way he rescued us was to live the life that we should have lived but didn't. Mm. And then to die, take the punishment that we deserve on himself so that we can experience God's mercy instead of his forgiveness. Mm. Now that's the long and short of it. And and there's the whole context, by Mm. the way. Um, And it's up to us now, uh, from a human perspective, we have a decision to make. We are either going to follow Jesus or not. Mm. If we say, Jesus, I want what you have to offer. I want new life. I want a new beginning. And by the way, Easter's coming up, so it's a good Mm. metaphor, so to speak. Although Mm. Easter is not a metaphor principally. It's about... Jesus coming alive after being dead, which secured the truth of what he did dying on that cross in that brutal fashion. But uh, this is a great time to think about new life and new beginnings. And the way you begin anew is by putting your trust in Christ Mm -hmm. and asking him to take over your life and thanking him for the the payment that he made in your behalf, receiving the forgiveness, Mm -hmm. confessing your sin against God, your rebellion, and then asking for forgiveness, and then walking with Him. Amen. It's all part of the package. Yeah. We are moving from one life into another life. Hmm. And by the way, what I just gave is a summary of, this is a shameless plug, a different book that I wrote called The Story of Reality, hmm. where I take each one of those points and I, I develop them in, in much more thoroughly. Uh, because the decision that anyone makes about what Jesus did um, will determine what happens to them Amen. Uh, at the final resurrection. And, and that will be either perfect justice, which is punishment for everything we've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing. Yeah. Or, in Christ, through the Rescuer, mercy, which is perfect mercy, uh, uh, forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong, and God 
Nothing. Yeah. So there's the gospel. Amen. Thank Amen. you. Amen. Well, and that's good news. <laughs> that is good. That is great news. That is good news. Uh, Gregory, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, for our listeners, please go out and get the book Tactics. Um, and Greg, Greg, where can people find you on social media? Where where can they get your book uh, besides here at Bridge uh, Ministries, which we are a bookstore, coffee shop, uh, and we, well, okay. We, uh, our website at Stand the Reason is str.org, str.org, okay? So you can get all all my books there. You can get the, uh, the Tactics, new 10th anniversary edition. You can also get the Story of Reality there. Of course, both of them are available on Amazon. People probably already know about that. And they, they currently have a good delivery service. So <laughs> <laughs> at least for the yeah. moment, if all their people don't strike against them. Yeah. But uh but uh, so that's I, I suggest the website because so many good things are there. Uh, I do have uh, a Twitter account. I think it's Greg Kokel, just G R E G K O U K L. I have a Facebook. Um, I don't use it so much. Um, a little bit here and there, but most people go to Stand to Reason's Facebook. So if you go to str.org, Stand to Reason, str.org. Uh, you'll get our face. You'll get our homepage, and at the bottom is all, all of the accounts, all of the social media accounts. And frankly, I can't keep up with them all. I don't know all their names. <laughs> so uh, there's all kinds of crazy ones going on. But we use them all to communicate all our information. And of course, I'm part of that. I just don't manage it. Oh, so that's what I suggest. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again, Gregory, Greg, Greg, uh, for coming on. Uh, hopefully, you can come back on and we can talk uh, about uh, your other books. Uh, and, sure. And we, Glad re- to do that. we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Greg. You're so welcome. Yeah, you're so welcome. I appreciate having some time with you both. Awesome. You Stay safe out there. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Greg on his book, Tactics, again. Man, Steve, what did you think about that? That was a long episode, <laughs> but well worth the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was. I mean, what a mind on Greg. No. I mean, yeah. just amazing. Um, yes, please go ahead and uh, get his book. Uh, I think that you will be thoroughly blessed uh, if you love uh, apologetics. Uh, I've been enjoying the book and it's just really, really, really good. It's going to be a real encouragement for just having some some uh, strategy and tactics yeah. for sharing your faith with people around you. So yeah, and there and we didn't even we barely even touched the surface mm-hmm. in 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 the interview. Uh, again, you have to go get the book, read the book, and again, it is uh, Amazon's number one seller in. Uh, Christianity books, I guess. Uh, That was pretty cool to see. Um, Again, uh, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, uh, Again, for our worldwide audience, if um, you want to get this book, you can get it on Amazon. Please uh, just uh, reach out to us here at uh, Bridge Ministries, and we can send that out uh, to you. Um, and like we like to end the show here like always uh what is your only comfort in life and in death that i am not my own but belong body soul in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ amen amen later